good evening. Welcome to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We've got some news for you tonight. Coming up in the second half of the program, Meg McGuire of Delaware Currents explains how and why the EPA is cleaning up dissolved oxygen downstream in the Delaware River. But first up, it's our weekly news roundup of the Times Union's Hudson Valley Bureau, which we do every Thursday here on the local edition. This week, managing editor Philip Pantuso participated in Radio Catskill's monthly reporters roundtable with Patricio Rabayo. And he talked about a New York State Comptroller's report related to Sullivan County and the potential expansion of Woodbury Commons. We have another story that, that uh, you have worked on. Uh, the State Comptroller's report was released recently. It looked at demographic, economic, and quality of life in 10 rural counties, including Sullivan County. What can you tell us? Yeah, I'll try to stay at the 30,000-foot view here just because um, this is this is basically intended to be the State Comptroller's office assessment, essentially, of like economic, demographic, and quality of life data in what are called rural New York. And so they selected 10 counties uh, as a kind of representative cross-section of rural New York, including Sullivan, as you mentioned, also Delaware County uh, and Greene County in the Catskills. Um, and they looked at a whole range of factors. Um, but the takeaway really from the report, and this probably won't be too much of a surprise, is that um, there are challenges, economic challenges and quality of life challenges in pretty much across all of these rural counties due to population loss, uh, aging residents, shrinking labor force, and a lack of easy access to housing, healthcare, food, and broadband, all of which we've talked about on the program before, including today. Um, Sullivan, I thought, was kind of an outlier in a couple of these categories and things that I thought were interesting. So, um, for example, only two of the 10 counties that the controller's office looked at have experienced any kind of population growth over the the 10-year period that it studied, which is 2011 to 2021. Um, one of those was uh, Hamilton County, and then one of them was Sullivan. And Sullivan has actually had pretty steady population growth um, uh, for a couple of decades with a big bump. Um, in April, starting in April 2020 due to the pandemic. But that has led to a kind of another way in which Sullivan is a little bit of an outlier in, in a negative way, uh, which is that the housing issue there is particularly, um, the affordable housing issue is particularly dire. Um, the, the capacity basically, or the amount of affordable housing in the county compared to what is needed is just about the worst in the counties that the controller's office looked at. Um, one other thing I thought was kind of interesting, um, and it sounds like this could be changing or could be in some amount of flux, is um, there are, across all of New York State, there are 56 crisis programs that are uh, opioid outpatient treatment programs that are certified by um by uh the state there's only one in rural counties and it's in it's in sullivan county and it has capacity for six people 
There are 65 inpatient treatment programs throughout the state for um, opioid addiction. And um, the only one that's in rural counties is in Delaware and has 10 people. Um, there are only three counties that have residential treatment programs. Um, by far, the largest is Sullivan's, which has 186 beds. So Sullivan seems to be slightly ahead of at least of other rural counties um, in trying to provide uh, continuum of care for opioid addiction treatment. Um, as as we were discussing earlier, that's partly because the need is particularly high there. That you, I think you mentioned, Patricio, the county has the highest rate of opioid uh, of opioid overdose deaths outside of New York City, um, and has gotten some some funding, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, um, you know, popu- the 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 rural counties in New York are are aging, they're losing population, they don't have the access they need to to healthcare and food and broadband. Um, the silver lining here, I guess, if I want to end this portion on a good note, is that the report does recommend a number of potential solutions, such as, you know, in, in, increase state funding, um, agritourism um and outdoor recreation to try to boost local economies um you know i think we a couple weeks ago i talked about um the state looking at licensing a couple of more casinos those are supposed to try to boost the local economy as well and a number of elected officials are calling on uh, um on the state legislature to pass um policy that can help yes i mean this hopefully this like i said always reports have these solutions in them i just hope that uh, this is my own personal opinion i just hope some of these solutions actually get um put into use and put into action because then it'll be just another report with a whole bunch of ideas that never get used so um thank you so much for that reporting let's move on to another story about the woodbury commons they're looking to expand again which i understand that this is not the the first expansion. I remember a couple of years ago they had a major expansion of the Woodbury Commons, along with the expansion of that whole intersection with the roads and everything, which caused a huge headache in traffic, uh, especially those coming up from the city. So, what can you tell us about this latest expansion from the Woodbury Commons? Yeah, so this this would be the fourth expansion uh, for Woodbury Commons since it opened in 1985. Um, the last update was in 2018, and that added. Um, not only that that interchange but a parking garage a food court um and sixty thousand square feet of retail space later that year the developer that owns woodbury common simon property group uh submitted another application for an additional expansion but that was held up by the pandemic and so it's just now kind of going through the approvals process with the woodbury planning board um this expansion would add um would add new more new stores uh about, about 150,000 square feet of retail space uh a second parking garage with 3,000 spaces it would add a hotel with 200 rooms um and then there would be kind of site updates so better signing improved crosswalks uh improved landscaping and a children's play area and all of this would come to $250 million uh, is what they are estimating at this point. 
uh, at the September 20th planning board meeting in Woodbury, the attorneys for Simon Property Group, which is the developer that owns the outlet mall, submitted uh, this site plan, applications for uh, special permit and an environmental review in the state's environmental quality review process, and a draft environmental impact statement. The planning board deemed that impact statement incomplete. So um, they are going back to the drawing board with that part. Um, part of that part of that uh, statement includes a traffic study, which I know is going to be of, uh, I guess, <laughs> of great importance to anybody who lives in and around Woodbury or who visits the, the, the mall, because uh, I guess it can be kind of a zoo down there. Um, so it's uh, it kind of remains to be seen when it'll come back before the planning board meeting. Um, I guess probably next month, but um, you know they have to they have to amend that environmental impact statement. The officials say that this expansion plan would create something like three thousand jobs and generate um, a lot of local revenue, um, about twenty million dollars a year. Uh, the mall already applies. 5,000, or sorry, already employs about 5,000 full-time and part-time workers, at least during its peak season. Um, so that's where things stand there. Um, the mayor of Woodbury, he signaled his potential support for this in a statement. He said that this has long been an elite destination because of its premier shopping experience. This plan seeks to strengthen that brand advantage and power an even greater future Though he did caution that the village looks forward to learning more about how it can benefit the residents, businesses, and tax base. So didn't exactly say he supports it, but certainly seems open to the idea or possibility of expansion. Yeah, for those who don't know that area, it's very heavily trafficked area. Uh, those coming up from the city or commuting, it's right there in a huge intersection that goes into 17. It splits off with the thru throughway. So I just remember the days when when that whole expansion was happening and the highway expansion was happening. It was really uh, difficult as far as traffic-wise during rush hours. So uh, I'd be curious to see uh, what happens with that. And also, I'm not sure if I, you mentioned it, but uh, has there been any sort of pushback yet from the public or any kind of local businesses on this new expansion from the Woodbury Commons? As far as we know, there hasn't been too much. Like The, the public hasn't had a chance really yet to... Uh, make its opinion heard on this just because it's just starting out in approvals process. There will, of course, be a public uh, comment period as part of the state uh, review or state mandated review. I was just saying that they they included a traffic study as part of the application and as part of the draft environmental impact statement, which, um, you know, I was sort of speculating, although I think on fairly solid ground that people are going to be concerned about the, the traffic and the parking down there. Thank you, Patricio. And remember, uh, Phil Pantuso from Times Union Hudson Valley Bureau joins us every Thursday evening right here on the local edition. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Meg McGuire of Delaware Currents talks about EPA efforts to clean up downstream regions of the Delaware River. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Listen local. 
CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this fall and winter. Updated COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna are available now. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, search vaccines.gov, text your zip code to 438-829, or call 1-800-232-0233. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Set your controls for the heart of the sun and tune in to hear the psychedelic synth situations of electronic hairpieces with your host, Nikki Vito. In this new weekly program, I'll be spinning retro synth, psychedelic, and experimental records Thursday nights at 10 p.m. following Connect the Dots at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Delaware Currents is a news project telling a story of the Delaware River, starting from its origins in the Catskill Mountains of New York and flowing all the way down to the Delaware Bay. Founder and publisher Meg McGuire spoke to Radio Catskills Patricio Rabio yesterday, and she talked about how and why the Environmental Protection Agency is now developing dissolved oxygen standards for the urban portion of the Delaware River. Here's Meg McGuire. A thousand years ago, when the EPA was created and the Clean Water Act was created and the DRBC itself was created, that's the Delaware River Basin Commission, the river was a smelly mess. Uh, it was basically almost like an open sewer. The first thing people tried to fix was, and pardon me for being blunt here, but um, the effect of poop on the river. Mm. Um, water bodies can handle some amount of effluent, uh, whether it's human or animal. There's the little critters in the water. There's protein and there's energy in all of these byproducts. So they feast on them, and the river can handle it and stays clear. Unfortunately, the Delaware River now, what, 60 years ago, could not handle the waste that was being poured into it. And this includes, obviously, not just human waste, but also all sorts of chemical wastes. Mm. And the river was, to some degree, dead. And there were hardly any fish. Um, Because our urban corridor is sort of certainly way south of us, from maybe Trenton to Wilmington is sort of about the area we're talking about, that that sort of deadness of the river prevented a lot of fish, fish passage because, as you know, fish needs oxygen to, de- to breathe just right. as we do, so they breathe it differently. Well, with the improvements that the Clean Water Act and, um, the, and certainly the DRBC and the four states have done, the river has gotten much cleaner. The whole poop issue has been essentially mostly resolved. But the pee issue is still a problem. Um, if all our excrement is properly treated by all of the water treatment plants up and down the river, that is not a problem for the river. It's treated um, remaining relatively clear. I call it gray water. goes into the river and it's fine. Unfortunately, it isn't fine for some of the most significant municipal wastewater treatment plants like Trenton, like Camden, like Philadelphia, like Wilmington. And they routinely end up 
putting more water, more into the river than the river can really handle. The dissolved oxygen, which is what the fish need, uh, is diminished. That is especially so in the summertime. We now have all sorts of fish passing through those sort of slightly troubled areas. But the big problem is with the Atlantic sturgeon. The Atlantic sturgeon is an endangered species. And although it can make its way through that area, it's having a hard time reproducing. It it has a preference, I don't know why, for some incredibly rocky area just outside Marcus Hook. And that's like right smack dab in the middle of this. So the feeling is, or the statistics have shown, that the Atlantic sturgeon numbers are not as healthy as perhaps they should be. Right. So, as I said, this has been known for a while. The DRBC, back in 2017, started a very um, in-depth investigation of the problem and what the solutions could be. Their investigation include modeling the entire Delaware Bay and the urban corridor. And they modeled it um, as if you sliced it up like a cheesecake into little squares. So every square of that river could be calculated what, what, what problem was where. Incredibly time-consuming job. The scientists and engineers at DRBC deserve a lot of credit for that work. The idea was, no, no one's actually said this, but essentially the municipal wastewater treatment plants in order to eliminate that pee problem and some other things too, we'll have to spend a lot of money on their wastewater treatment. And municipal wastewater treatment places get their money from their taxpayers, their residents. And handing residents a, a multi-million dollar bill for improving the dissolved oxygen in the river is a big old deal. So. Right. I'm intuiting here. I haven't had this sort of confirmed by anybody at the DRPC, but essentially, if you make haste slowly, you bring everybody on board. And so, essentially, what happens is you can get very specific about which wastewater treatment plant needs to do what, and it becomes harder for them to push back. It also, in theory, really, and actually, in fact, it gave them a lot of time to figure out what they need to do. And truly... Right now is a great time to do it because with that Bipartisan Infrastructure Act that was passed, there is money around for doing these sort of infrastructure improvements. But still, it's slow. The environmentalists were unhappy. Um, They represent thousands of people who are unhappy at the pace of change. So these environmentalists petitioned the EPA to jump in and... uh, I think most of us were pretty surprised back in December when the EP said, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it is unusual for the federal, this, this particular federal unit, to step into a situation like the one we have with the DRBC, since the DRBC is a, um, a governmental, it's the, the, it's, it represents the four states. So when the four states have a unit that's helping them figure out what to do with this shared river, it's sort of surprising that the EPA would step in, but the EPA said they too, it too, was concerned about the pace of change. Right. So then what happened is that there was a period of time from December when this decision was announced 
two, the next decision is in just recently in September, there was a possibility of both the EPA and the DRBC working on what are the new standards that they need to promulgate to allow those fish to thrive. And I should, I should also add that obviously if we improve the river for the fish, we're also improving it for humans. The DRBC decided that they would act to pull away from their lead role as or a co-lead role with the EPA and let the EPA be the lead agency. And really it makes sense because otherwise you have duplicative engineering, duplicative science, and so it makes sense. Okay, you be in charge. Um, now, I think the DRBC is still going to be involved uh, right. with um, the EPA. I think certainly some of the EPA decisions might be based on the science and engineering that the DRBC folks have already come up with. Um, I will share with you the one problem that I have is that the DRBC, although very slow and perhaps a little slower than a lot of people would like, at least their process is relatively transparent. Nobody yet has any idea what the EPA actually plans to do. It's just the EPA said right. it would get it done sooner than the DRBC would. So we're not sure what the standards might be or how they came to that conclusion, which, of course, is a question that I'm asking the EPA in order to find an answer. And even if they don't answer me at some point down the, down the road, they will announce what their conclusions are and hopefully give us um, the reasons for the conclusions that they've come to. You mentioned aging infrastructure, and that's something that uh, I'm very familiar with, especially, in, like, say, for the town of Fallsburg and Sullivan County. Um, they're just one of the towns that are dealing with an aging infrastructure, and they're in the process of upgrading two of the wastewater treatment plants. And the biggest concern always from residents is how much this is going to cost and who's going to pay for it. So, uh, you know, they are actively pro provide, you know, looking for grants. And one of the grants you mentioned, it seems sometimes interesting that could help a town like Fallsburg uh, upgrade their, their, their infrastructure and for not only for the growth that's happening now, but for future growth um, and to help meet the standards to keep the environment clean. Right, exactly. And the, um, I, I have not heard yet of anyone who has had an easy time trying to access the money that's actually available. Um, I, I certainly recommend, uh, you know, reaching out to Congress people. I recommend uh, reaching out to the EPA itself. Um, many of these um, um, forms of aid are going to be in the form of low-interest loans. Um, so each state has a state revolving fund. So each of these projects probably should be um, uh, uh, linked into whatever the state revolving fund is. Because often, like even back um, uh, when the river was cleaned up, extraordinarily the first time around with the combination of the DRBC, the Clean Water Act, and the EPA. Um, it was cleaned up because money was available for treating the sewage, right? So municipal and uh, even private um, uh, um, wastewater treatment people could get some combination of grants and, and low-interest loans. And um, the impact on that on the river was extraordinary, Right, um, the impact on the river, on the urban core of the river, 
certainly could be extraordinary if the the people who need to do the organizations, the municipalities, and others who need to do the work uh, get some help with that bottom line. Um, among the things that I covered, uh, just to tell your readers, if you go to the Delaware Currents website, you look under special projects, and you look down and you see something called Atlantic Sturgeon. That gives a, a real um, a large overview of the work that has been done. Um, and one of those stories is about um, the money that would be required for the large municipal wastewater treatment plants um, to actually install the the, uh, the systems that they would need in order to improve the water that goes into the river. And it's millions of dollars. Um, so it's um, it's understandable that there's a little bit of ack, um because um, one of the unfortunate things is there's uh, too many people, I think, in the watershed who think, well, rain falls from the sky. Everything about it should be free. Right. Um, no. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't. I don't know yet what the what the plans might have to be in the future. But I can't imagine that the work can go forward without a significant financial impact to all these municipalities. With the goals the EPA has, the proposed updates to the water quality standards, how how do you think they align with the Clean Water Act? Well, the EPA will always be aligning itself with the Clean Water Act. Um, in fact, in their, in, I think in both of the letters, uh, in both of the in both of these decisions, the letter that they sent was full of references to the Clean Water Act um, and to the various regulations that pertain to it. So they're very, they're very tied to that. And, you know, it is fair to say that people have been aware that there's a problem with this section of the river for quite a long time. So well before 2017. But of course, it's a big old deal um, for the states because that's, remember, the DRBC is comprised of the four states and the, the federal representative is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The actual commissioners are the governors of the four states. So I don't know that, I mean, all the governors are now Democrats, but just because they're Democrats doesn't mean they're going to spend a whopping great pile of money on getting the river clean right. as quickly as possible. It's a very politically charged um, move to, just by fiat, say it has to be clean. So it could be said that the EPA can do that because mm. it's not responding to its voters because people don't vote for the EPA. They vote for the president who appoints the uh, administration of the EPA. Um, so it could be said that the EPA is doing something that perhaps was harder for the DRBC to do. So what happens now? Um, I don't know, uh, she said. Um um, right now, I'm in the process of trying to communicate to the EPA to find out what their um, what their process would be. As I said, I understand the DRB well with a lot of help. I, I understand what the DRBC's process has been. Right. Uh, I have no idea what the EPA's process is. So I'm trying to get some transparency from the EPA to understand their process. Whether or not anybody actually fast chases from the EPA to share what their process is. At some point, they will promulgate these revised water quality standards for the urban cor cor corridor. Um, the whole river has 
water quality standards, and it's a complicated, um, a complicated um, setup. But essentially, all of the river above Trent, Trenton has a water quality standard that allows and encourages the propagation of fish. The Delaware Bay, south of Wilmington, also has that uh, standard um, parts per million. I can't remember what it is offhand of oxygen that allows for the propagation of fish. Right. It is in that urban corridor that they the water quality standards do not demand the level of oxygen that is needed for the propagation of fish. And the idea is that because the sturgeon is an endangered species, that that propagation is imperative to be supported. And so the water, the dissolved oxygen in that section of the river, it has to reach a higher standard than it does right now. Thank you to Meg McGuire. Thank you to Patricio Rabayo. And thank you for listening. That's going to do it for the local edition tonight. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Stay with us because at 7 o'clock, we've got Ramble Tamble kicking off a great Thursday evening of music. Before that, we've got the daily and the latest news from NPR. This is Radio Catskill. Radio Catskill supporters include SUNY Sullivan, a community college in the Sullivan Catskills focused on preparing students for the future. More information at sunysullivan.edu. Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org.